0: Thank you very much, uh, Pastor. It's a delight uh, to be here. Of course, uh, at uh, my age, it's a delight to be anywhere. Uh, some of you know about that. I was speaking in a little country church once. And it was kind of a cold day. And they, uh, they had a broken window and they had a piece of cardboard in the window. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not the pastor here. I'm, I'm just a guest. I'm just a substitute. I'm kind of like that piece of cardboard over there. And after the service, a lady came up to me and said, uh, Dr. Geisler, you're not a substitute. You're a real pain. Uh, so I hope that's not true this morning. At least it's a pleasure for me to uh, be here. As I said yesterday, people always wonder about speakers when uh, they're introduced. Uh, something about them. I am married. I have a wife of 55 years, uh, named Barbara. Thank you. Uh, We have six children, three boys and three girls, called Planned Parenthood. Uh, uh, All of our children are serving the Lord. Two of them are pastors' wives, one's a missionary uh, in uh, Singapore. And we have 15 grandchildren, and they're all uh, committed Christians. And we're just blessed, as the Bible says, unto the second and third generation uh, of those that love you. And I just can't tell you how uh, thrilled I am to be serving uh, the Lord. Uh, a lot of times when you hear about a speaker coming in and they're uh, working in seminaries and academic uh, areas, you wonder, you know, is this going to be way over my head? Well, let me tell you something. I started uh, not at zero, but at minus. Uh, when God reached down to get me, I couldn't even read. That's right. I made it all the way through high school without ever reading a book. The main reason was I didn't know how to read. In the 11th grade, I got kicked out of English class because the teacher said, how did the tale of two cities end? And I said, with a period. (laughs) She had no sense of humor whatsoever. And the the period ended for me. I mean, that was my high school career uh, right there. And God reached down, and this shows his grace and his humor. He reached down and said, I'm going to make you a scholar. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. I don't even like to read. You know, I still don't like to read. And guess what? I goofed off through, oh, well, that was 13 years from kindergarten of school. And God said, okay, I'm going to put you in school the rest of your life. And I have. I've been now in school for uh, 73 years straight. 73 years straight. I went to college for 20 years. 20 years. Had to catch up on what I uh, hadn't learned before. And God uh, can do great things in your life if you just give him a chance. He just needs the raw material. And one of the things uh, and uh, one of the reasons I got interested in defending the Christian faith is because I was proclaiming it and I couldn't answer people's questions. I was tied up by a Jehovah's Witness and not and a Mormon. And I was in a ghetto in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and a drunk staggered up to me. This is what he said. I'm not insulting the school. It's a good school. He said, I'm a graduate of Moody Insta Bible toot. And you're not supposed to be doing this. I said, doing what? He grabbed my Bible, red letter edition. He said, now read that. Jesus said, go and tell no man. He said, now get out of here. Jesus doesn't want you to do this. I had no idea what that verse meant. Uh, but having been tied in knots by cultists before, and now a drunk stumps me, I decided I'm going to have to either stop witnessing or start getting answers. And I dedicated my life to getting answers. And the Bible commands us to do that. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. First Peter 3, 15. Set apart the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Now, one of the persons that we have to address in our generation is atheists. For 25 years, I debated atheists and agnostics and skeptics on college campuses all over America. I fell in love with atheists. I read atheists for devotions. Some people read daily bread, streams in the desert. I read atheists because I have discovered that man cannot live by bread alone and that even atheists need God. Now, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus used this verse. And what it meant in context is, "...is better to obey God's word than to satisfy human desires." The devil said, "...turn these loaves into bread." And Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm using a little broader application of that today. Humans can't live by physical food alone. They need spiritual sustenance as well. Or, more pointedly, no one can live without God, not even atheists, and especially uh, atheists. Now, why is this so important? Why is it important for us to talk about the existence of God? Everybody believes that, don't they? No, uh, they don't, as a matter of fact. Uh, But everything we believe is based on the existence of a theistic God, a God beyond the world who created the world, the God of Genesis 1.1. We say and believe the Bible is the word of God. But if there is no God, this can't be the word of God. We say and believe that Christ is the Son of God. But if there is no God, He can't be God's Son. We say and believe and sing that the resurrection is an act of God. But there can't be acts of God if there's no God who can act. And of course we believe that salvation is a work of God. It's a work of God's grace in our life. But it can't be a work of God if He's not there to work. Little wonder that the Bible begins, in the beginning, God. Everything depends on God. Our entire Christian faith crumbles without the existence of a theistic God. In other words, if this first verse of the Bible is true, then everything else in the Bible is credible. But if this first verse of the Bible is not true, nothing else is credible. Because the rest of the Bible depends on the God who brought something out of nothing, who made water out of nothing and then therefore could turn water to wine, who made matter and therefore could resurrect the dead. That's how important this topic is. Now, what is an atheist? An atheist is someone who does not believe there's a God, which includes agnostics and skeptics, because they don't believe there's a God. A strong atheist denies there is a God, an agnostic doesn't know if there's a God, skeptic doubts if there's a God, but all of them don't believe there's a God. So I want to ask the question today, can atheists live by bread alone? Can atheists live without God? Now here's some of the famous atheists of our day, Richard Dawkins, the God Delusion, Victor Stengel. Michael Onfray, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Schlellenberg, Matthew Chapman, uh, Tim Callahan, Michael Shermer, and others. Here are some of their faces, Dawkins, Hitchens, uh, and uh, Shermer. These men are going uh, uh, crisscrossing the country, uh, debating the Christians, attacking God, attacking Christianity, and getting a lot of press. You say, well, how many atheists are there? Well, most Buddhists are atheists. Most secular humanists are atheists. All Marxists are atheists. 5% of Americans are atheists. 30% of English. 60% of Swedes. And 80% of Russians are atheists. Uh, Stay here. Uh, Don't go uh, east. In addition, in addition, almost half of the world That's right. Almost half of the world, literally 49% of the world, do not believe in the God of Genesis 1-1, a theistic God. So in that sense, almost half of the world are atheists. There are even atheist churches now. Here's one from Time Magazine, 10-15-07. Is God keeping you from going to church? Don't let that bother you join the Unitarian Universalist Church. I preached in one once. That's right. I was teaching at Dallas Seminary. The phone rang, and the pastor from the Dallas Unitarian Universalist Church said, "Uh, we'd like to have you come and speak at our service sometime. He said, we've had strippers, we've had communists, and we thought we ought to have a Christian sometime. I said, well, if you don't have any strippers that day and uh, I can speak on whatever I want, I'd be glad to come. Paul went to Mars Hill. Why shouldn't I go to the Unitarian Universalist Church and preach the gospel? And so I did. The church was packed out three times as many people as they usually have, 90. They usually have 30. (laughs) Now this in a city where a small church is a thousand, you know, where they had 20,000 at First Baptist of Dallas and and other churches. And so I said to him, I want to speak on um, Jesus Christ, God, guru, or ghost. He loved it. He was hoping for God or guru. uh, I mean, for a ghost or guru. And I gave him God. But he said, that's fine. So when I got there, he got up to introduce me. He said, now, Dr. Geisler, Is going to speak on Jesus. We hardly ever talk about Jesus in our church, the understatement of the century. Uh, He said, I looked in our Unitarian manual for the last 10 years and I only found one meditation on Jesus and it was titled, Is Jesus a Sissy? And the answer was yes. And that was my introduction. I got up and spoke. And is Jesus God? Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus proved to be God. Are there any questions? Every hand went up. So I spent another 45 minutes answering uh, their questions. Only one person in the entire church believed in some kind of supreme being. And she was told by a voice, a persistent voice, don't go to church today. And so the voice was so persistent that she wanted to come to church to find out why she shouldn't be there. Uh and she heard the gospel for the first time. Why atheists can't live without God? The main point, atheists say with their lips that they do not believe there's a God, but they show with their lives that there is a God. What do they say? They say the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now I frankly do not believe that we've been fair to atheists. We got a holiday for everything else. I think we need an atheist national holiday, April 1st. <laughs> but they show with their lives that there is a god. Romans 2:15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, they show the works of the law written in their heart. They can't avoid in their heart what they deny with their lips. Now there are three things I want to cover. Atheists say they can live without God. The Bible says they can't live without God. What does the evidence show? And this is to me the most fascinating part of my Uh, almost lifelong study here for the last 50 years of reading atheists is that the evidence shows that they can't live without god david said the heavens declare the glory of god and the firmament showeth his handiwork paul said since the creation of the world god's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made so they are without excuse jesus said man Shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what the Bible says. They can't. What does the evidence show? Well, my main point is this atheists say with their lips that they don't believe in God, but they show with their lives that there is a God. What they say is the fool has said there is no God. But what they show is that there is a God because there's a moral law written on their hearts and there must be a moral lawgiver. Now, I want to demonstrate this morning in four ways why atheists can't live without God. Logically, they can't. Morally, they can't. Psychologically, they can't. And religiously, they can't. Let's start with the simplest one. Logically. The world has a beginning. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Therefore, this world, this universe had a cause. They can't avoid that logic. Here's an agnostic astronomer, by our definition an atheist, one of the top astronomers in America, uh, and his name is Jastrow, and he said this. Now we see how the astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. Now stop right there. Our liberal theologians are saying Genesis is myth, and our agnostic astronomers are saying Genesis is literally true. Is there something wrong with this picture? Uh, The chain of evidence leading to man commenced suddenly and sharply at a definite moment of time in a flash of light and energy astronomers say there was a big bang and a big flash of light and this universe came into existence does that sound familiar in the beginning god created there's a big bang and god said let there be light and there was light that there are what i or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now i think a scientifically proven fact is an atheist saying It's scientifically proven fact there was a supernatural force that brought this universe into existence. Here's a former atheist, Francis Collins, head of the most prestigious uh, scientific program undertaken by man, uh, the mapping of the entire human genome. And he said this The Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation, it forces us to the conclusion that nature had a definite beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. Logically, atheists can't live without God. Secondly, every complex design has a designer. The world has complex design. Therefore, the world has a complex designer. Let me ask you a question. Which one is most complex? The one on the left or the one on the right? Everybody knows that a watch has a watchmaker. But we now know that the universe is infinitely more complex than a watch. Why then should not the universe have a universe maker? Man can't live without God, logically. Here's a former atheist who looked through the Mount Palomar telescope. who studied 42 galaxies ranging out into space and confirmed that the universe had a beginning. Here's what he said, Dr. Alan Sandage. The world is too complicated in all of its parts to be due to chance alone. I am convinced that the existence of life with all of its order in each of its organisms is simply too well put together. The more one learns of biochemistry, the more unbelievable it becomes unless there's some kind of organizing principle, an architect for believers." You can't look at the evidence of the machinery that's inside a cell that those of you who were here yesterday uh, saw Dr. Demsky illustrate. It's like a whole city functioning there without believing that somebody organized the whole thing. How complex is it? Well, there's an amoeba, a one-cell animal on the top left, according to the world's most vociferous atheist, now Richard Dawkins, there are 1,000 sets of an encyclopedia of information inside that little one cell. 1,000 sets, not 1,000 volumes. There is no simple life. All of life is exceedingly complex. Now let me ask you this. Can you believe that A thousand sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica resulted from an explosion in a printing shop? I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Hey, that sounds like a good title for a book. In fact, I wrote one with that title. (laughs) I think it's available uh, here. I just don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Here's another former atheist, Sir Fred Hoyle. Biochemical systems are exceedingly complex, so much so that the chance of their being formed through random shuffling is, and I love this phrase, insensibly different from zero. What are the chances that life could arise by pure chance? About zero. In fact, he gave a number, 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now, 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power is a really, really big number. There aren't that many atoms in the whole universe. There are only 1 in 10 to the 22nd power stars. And they're about the same amount of stars as there are grands, grains of sand in all the seashores in the world. 1 in 10 to the forty-thousandth power. Uh, put it this way. If you go to the doctor and he says you got cancer and you're going to die, and you say to him, what are my chances to live? And he says, about 1 in 10 to the forty-thousandth power. Just drop dead. Don't even move from the spot. Just drop dead right there because you don't have any chance. There must be an intelligence, said Sir Fred Hoyle, which designed the biochemicals and gave rise to the origin of carbonaceous life. He's an atheist talking. This man wrote the block-busting book, Darwin's Black Box, in which he started the intelligent design movement. He said the conclusion of intelligent design... Flows naturally from the dead itself. Life on earth, at its most fundamental level, in its most cri- critical components, is the product of intelligent activity. You can't possibly explain it any other way. Even the great agnostic, atheist by our definition, philosophic agnostic, though he personally believed in God, Immanuel Kant said, Two things fill the mind with ever new and increasing admiration and awe. The oftener and more steadily we reflect on them. The starry heaven above and the moral law within. He wrote a book of 700 pages attacking all proof for the existence of God. He said, when I go out and look at the stars at night, I can't help but believe there's a God. And when I look at the moral law within me that there's right and wrong, and I know the difference. I can't help but believe in God. Other atheists have names for God other than God. They call it nature with a capital N, or Carl Sagan cosmos, or the higher self, or the unconscious. But a rose by any other name is still a rose. Here's the great skeptic, David Hume, who spoke of nature as a person and mind, with ultimate rights and secrets which throws bar to our presumption and is pointed to a wiser course and admonishes us. Natural laws don't do that. Only minds and persons uh, do that. Carl Sagan didn't believe in God, but he believed the cosmos is our creator, the cosmos is our savior, and he worshiped the cosmos. Capital C, capital O, is surrogate for God. Viktor Frankl said man has always stood in an intentional relation to transcendence, another word for God. Even if on an unconscious level, in this sense, all men seek the unconscious God, even atheists do. Erich Fromm denied a theistic God, but he affirmed a humanistic religion. He used the name God for his object of devotion to the whole of humanity. He, too, believed in God. The world's most notorious atheist just became a believer recently, a believer in God. His name is Anthony Flew, and he's written a book titled, There Is No Crossed Out, A God. And here's what he said, "'Nor do I claim to have had any personal experience of God or any experience that may be called supernatural or miraculous.' In short, my discovery of the divine has been a pilgrimage of reason and not of faith. He's not a Christian, but he's close. But he now believes in God, and he's in a position now to believe in the Son of God. He even let somebody write an article in this book on the resurrection of Christ. He said, I'm not a a believer, but if I were one, this is a direction I would look. So pray for Anthony Flew, someone who has now come to believe that there's a God. Here he is. He said, it's simply inconceivable that any material matrix or field can generate agents who think and act. A force field does not plan or think. So the world of living conscious thinking beings has to originate in a living source, a mind. Karl Marx put it this way, either matter produce mind or mind produced matter. But the higher uh, cannot be produced by the lower. Water doesn't rise any higher than its source. It takes mind to produce mine. Man can't live without God logically. He can't live without God morally. Why? Because every moral law has a lawgiver, and an ob- there is an objective moral law, hence there must be a moral lawgiver. If you go to the pharmacist and say please fill this prescription, and he says, who prescribed it? And you say, nobody. It's just a prescription. You would think something's wrong with you, right? Because if it's a prescription, it must have had a prescriber. If it's a law, it must have had a lawgiver. If it's legislation, it must have had a legislator. So if there is a moral law, there must be a moral lawgiver. Immanuel Kant said, There is an absolute moral law that we should always treat others as ends, not as means to an end. We should never do what we can't will that all should do. Hence, it's necessary to posit God to make sense out of our moral duty. An atheist, a philosophical atheist, believing that there is a moral law and therefore a moral lawgiver. Everybody knows C.S. Lewis and the Narnia series he was an atheist. He said, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. You can't call the universe crooked. This is the atheist's favorite argument. Look at all the injustice in the world. Injustice, not just. Where did you get this idea of justice? If there is a moral law that says you should always be just, then there must be a moral law giver. Former atheist Francis Collins stated in these words, after 28 years as a believer, converted from atheism, the moral law still stands out for me as the strongest signpost to God. More than that, it points to a God who cares about human beings, a God who is infinitely good and holy. He's not just a force supernatural force it's a person who cares about this world and who wants us uh, to live right here's some moral principles that i've discovered over the years that even atheists believe respect human beings respect human freedom especially theirs respect uh, reject racism and bigotry tolerate other people's beliefs promote peace and justice But even if there's one moral law, there must be one moral lawgiver. Even if there's one absolute moral law, there must be one absolute moral lawgiver. Atheists can't live without God logically. Here's an atheist, former atheist, Jay Budzicewski. If you can spell his name, you can pass the course. Uh, What actually led me back was a growing intuition that my condition was objectively evil. Evil is a deficiency in good. There's no such thing as an evil substance, an evil in itself. So if my condition really was evil, there had to be some good of which my condition was a ruination. I had been so wrong for so long, so profoundly, that it seemed that almost anything might be true, even the faith that I had abandoned. And he returned to Christianity and as a born-again evangelical Christian uh, writing in defense of the Christian faith. Man can't live without God logically, morally, or psychologically. Sigmund Freud said, What characteristic of illusions is that they are derived from human wishes. As for religious doctrines, all of them are illusions and insusceptible of proof. This idea of God is a childhood neurosis. We need a heavenly Linus blanket, a cosmic comforter. And so we create the Father out there. Uh, There is none, but we create it out of our own illusion and wish. I would like to suggest to Freud that he missed the point. Everyone really needs God. What we really need really exists. Therefore, God really exists. Now notice... I'm not saying everyone gets everything they want. I want a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I'm not going to get it. And notice, I'm not saying everyone gets everything they need. There are people who need water but die of thirst and need food and die of hunger. What we're saying is what we really need really exists somewhere. Water, food, or God. Again, atheist Francis Collins Why should such a universal and uniquely human hunger for God exist if we're not connected with some opportunity for fulfillment? Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Man needs God. Well, there's such a thing as God. Even if you don 't find him, because no need exists without the possibility of fulfilling that need. now, the one million dollar question: can we show that atheists need God? We know the believers need God we 've confessed that, but how about atheists well here 's an atheist Jean Paul Sartre. I needed God. I reached out for religion, I longed for it. It was the remedy. Had it been denied me, I would have invented it myself. Does that sound like atheists need God? Sigmund Freud admitted that it would be very nice if there were a God. He admitted a sense of man's insignificance or impotence in the face of the universe. That he was just a contingent something and there was an all on which he had to depend. He refers to our God, Logos, reason. In fact, I'm going to show in a moment that Sigmund Freud is really a proof that there is a God because a converted Freudian psychologist has done a Freud on Freud. Uh, And his name is Paul Witz. He wrote a book, Faith of the Fatherless. He said Freud was wrong. Man does not create the Father The believer does not create the father, the atheist kills the father. And he did a psychological study and he found out these things. Nowhere did he publish any evidence, clinical evidence, that proves that belief in God is an illusion. Instead, there's now much research showing that a religious life is associated with greater physical health and psychological well-being. Those who believe in God have better, better health and well-being than those who don't. Just the opposite of what Freud uh, said. In fact, this showed that Nietzsche was right. This is the most famous atheist who ever lived. He said, God is dead, sign Nietzsche. Some invisible hand wrote under it, Nietzsche is dead, sign God. (laughs) Here's what he said. He said, I can't live without God. I hold up before myself the image uh, uh, of uh, an unknown God. Here's an atheist writing a poem to the unknown God. Thou lightning-shrouded one, unknown one, speak. What wilt thou, unknown God? Do come back with all thy tortures to the last, Of all that are lonely, oh, come back, and my heart's final flame flares up for thee. Oh, come back, my unknown God, my pain, my last happiness. The greatest atheist to ever live, crying out for God. David Hume, the greatest skeptic, said, I couldn't live my own skepticism. Most fortunately, it happens that since reason is incapable of dispelling these clouds of doubt that he created with his own writing, Nature herself suffices to that purpose and cures me of the philosophical melancholy and delirium. I was so tired of my own skepticism that it drove me delirious. What did he do? So I decided to dine, have a nice meal, play a game of batgammon, have a friendly conversation. And when after three or four hours of amusement, I would return to these skeptical speculations They appear so cold and strained and ridiculous that I cannot find it in my heart to enter into them any farther. And yet our young people go to colleges and they study this as the great skepticism, the great atheism, uh, and they couldn't live without God. Albert Camus, famous French existential atheist, said, For anyone who is alone without God... And without a master, the weight of days is dreadful. Does that sound like a happy life? Man can't live without God logically, morally, or psychologically. And finally, they can't live without God religiously. Here's a great atheist, Ludwig Feuerbach, who influenced Karl Marx. And Karl Marx used him to prove his atheism. He said, God is a need of the intelligence, a necessary thought. You can't avoid God with your thinking. The highest degree of thinking power. Now, here's a man uh, who was one of the great atheists of all times, who influenced Karl Marx, who was saying that God is the need of the intelligence, a necessary thought, the highest degree of a thinking power. Here's an atheist who started sociology. He even coined the term, Auguste Comte. He set up a humanist religion. Now, why would an atheist set up a humanist religion? He installed himself as high priest. He had religious calendar and holidays. He set up his mistress as the high priestess uh, of it, and, and he venerated great thinkers and saints. John Dewey. Father of American Humanistic Education wrote a book in 1934 after signing the Humanist Manifesto in 1933. Said this: "Here are all the elements of a religious faith." It wasn't Jerry Falwell or Francis Schaeffer who first called humanists religious. It was re- humanists who called themselves a religion. He said, such a faith has always been implicitly the common faith of mankind. It remains to make it explicit and militant. And that he did in our public schools. Paul Tillich, they invited to the Supreme Court, who ruled in the Torcaso v. Watkins decision in 1961 that you don't have to believe in God to get First Amendment uh, rights or to be religious. Tillich said, religion is an ultimate concern or an ultimate commitment. Even atheists have an ultimate concern because a human being deprived completely of a center would cease to be a human being. Even atheists have a center, have an ultimate commitment to something. Huxley said, I don't believe in God, but he wrote a book titled Religion Without Revelation*. He has a chapter titled, Evolutionary Humanism as a Developed Religion, and he spoke of a spiritual experience with supreme value. Does that sound like they're living well without God? Huxley spoke of the possibility of enjoying the experience of transcendent, there's that word again, rapture, physical or mystical, aesthetic or religious, of attaining inner harmony and peace which puts a man above the cares and worries of daily life. Man cannot live by bread alone. Karl Marx was a strong atheist, but he desired an earthly utopia, heaven transcending forward that transcends the present. He made an ultimate commitment to this ultimate end, capital E. I visited his tomb uh, outside of England some years ago, I got on the plane, I was just working with the underground church, former atheist, seeking God, people seeking God in Poland there. Got on the airplane, they handed me Time magazine, uh, 1978, and here's what it said. God is dead, front cover. Marx is dead, and I'm not feeling too well either. (laughs) God is dead, Marx is dead, and I'm not feeling too well either bertrand russell wrote the book why i'm not a christian led a lot of people into unbelief said even when one feels nearest to other people something in one seems obstinately to belong to god hold the phone time out an atheist saying he claimed to be an agnostic but by our definition atheist that something in one seems obstinately to belong to god And then he caught himself he said well at least that's how i'd express it if i thought there was a god it's odd, isn't it? I care passionately for this world and many things and people in it. And yet, what is it all? There must be something more important one feels, though I don't believe there is. Man cannot live without God. Carl Sagan. Our ancestors worshiped the sun and they were far from ignorant if we must worship a power greater than ourselves does it not make sense to revere the sun and the stars the cosmos is everything that ever was is and will be from everlasting to everlasting thou art cosmos atheist walter kaufman this is my favorite description taught at harvard Religion is rooted in man's aspiration to transcend himself. Whether he worships idols or strives to perfect himself, man is the God-intoxicated ape. I love that. But who intoxicated him? Why are we all intoxicated? Why are atheists themselves intoxicated? How come we can't get rid of this God-sized vacuum in our heart? Camus said, despite the fact that there is no God, that at least the church must be built. But why build the house of God if there is no God? Why build a place to worship God if there is no God? Eric Fromm said, indeed, man does not live by bread alone. Isn't that interesting? That's our text for this morning. Here's a humanist psychologist saying, man does not live by bread alone. He only has the choice of better or worse forms of religion. You don't have the choice of no religion. Will Durant and his son, I survived morally because I retained the moral code that was taught me along with the religion while I discarded the religion. Boy, that talks about the past generation. He said, you and I are living on a shadow, but what will happen to our children? They are living on the shadow of a shadow. You deny the religion and keep the morality, you're living on a shadow. You deny the morality and the religion, and you're living on a shadow of a shadow. What's wrong with humanists? I, every once in a while you get an honest humanist. Uh, this is the Humanist Journal, 1964, the British Humanist Journal. And they said, something's wrong with humanism. We've got to juice it up. It's clinically detached from life. I recommend they develop a humanist Bible, a humanist hymnal, they said. This is a humanist speaking. Ten Commandments for Humanists, and even confessional practices. In addition, the use of hypnotic techniques, music, and other psychological devices during the humanist service would give the audience that deep spiritual experience, and they would emerge refreshed and inspired with their humanist faith. Well, I wrote some songs for them. Plato, lover of my soul. No one ever cared for me like Socrates. Or my hope is built on nothing less than Jean Paul Sartre and nothingness. I perhaps could write a few more if they would like them. Listen now, in summary, to what atheists say about atheism it's a shadow of a shadow. Durant, Nietzsche, is not bearable. Huxley, it's intolerable. Camus is dreadful. Sartre is cruel. Hume, it leads to delirium. Our main point atheists say with their lips there is no God, but they show with their lives that there is a God. Now, atheists have some alternatives live inconsistently, live in futility. Let it drive them to insanity, commit suicide, or get saved. Jackson Pollock chose inconsistency Says he believed everything was random and he was a lover of mushrooms. And if you approach wild mushrooms randomly, you're going to be dead because the poisonous ones look like the good ones. Albert Camus chose to live in futility and dread. John Cage drove him to suicide because he was a writer, songwriter, and he uh flip a coin for the next note. You won't get music by flipping a coin for the next note. Drove him to suicide. Uh, John Paul Sartre was converted. That's right. One of the most famous atheists of the 60s was converted. And here's his... Uh, words before he was saved i had all the more difficulty of getting rid of him that's the holy spirit that He installed himself in the back of my head he said when i was a young kid i burned a hole in the rug and god convicted me and i said that i dismissed god but i couldn't get rid of the holy spirit he attached himself to the back of my head he said but i collared the holy ghost in the cellar and i threw him out atheism is a cruel and long-range affair i think i've carried it through I lost my illusion. So Sartre dismissed God. But God didn't dismiss Sartre. Before he died, National Review records it, also a French journal, and I talked to missionaries who had talked to him, so I verified this three ways. He said, I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected, prepared, and prefigured, in short, a being whom only a creator could put here. And the two missionaries who talked to him said he was visited by a minister every week, and they heard Sartre himself express with him his deep regret for how many people he had misled by his philosophy of existentialism. We cannot get rid of God. Those who deny God with the top of their minds nevertheless cannot avoid him in the bottom of their hearts. The need for an object of devotion is deeply rooted in the condition of human existence, said Eric Fromm. Nothing, nothing, said Camus, can discourage the appetite for divinity. But if you need water, there's certainly water somewhere. Don't die of thirst. Keep moving on the road to the oasis. St. Augustine put it this way, and he had been in agnosticism itself before he came to Christianity. Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. I can guarantee one thing. On the basis of experience and God's Word, that if you're seeking for God with all your heart, you will find Him. And if you're seeking for happiness anywhere else than God, you will never find it. Because the wisest, richest man who ever lived, Solomon, tried wine, wisdom, works, wealth, worldliness, and said, Vanity of vanity is like grasping for the wind. You get a handful of nothing every time Jesus said come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger let's pray Father we thank you that you put this God-sized vacuum in our hearts and that we will not be satisfied with anything less than you. Thank you for putting eternity in our hearts so that we cannot be happy with any number of temporal things until we find the eternal. And I pray today, if there's anyone here, Lord, who has not come to know you, that they will... Take the invitation, of Jesus, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Norman Geisler. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Norman's ministry by visiting normangeisler.com.